0: Southwest Tech Daily podcast. Hello and welcome to this truly touching episode of Southwest Tech Daily. I'm Fayez Khan and my co host is Robert Hillier.
1: In this episode, we're looking back at the Tech Southwest Awards, but also about diversity and getting people from underprivileged backgrounds into tech. That's why
2: recognition is so important. That's why you do the awards, because there are loads of companies doing amazing things, but companies are made up of individuals. That's Nikki Davis from Software Cornwall. She's
0: talking
3: about Fran Solo. When you grow up in that way, in poverty, it will just follow you. It will follow you yeah. for the rest of Even if I become prime minister, it will still be in the back of my mind.
1: That is Fran. She won the Spotlight Award at the Tech Southwest Awards and told
4: us about her incredible story as she made her way into tech.
3: And
1: Kelpie's
4: clients are global. We work with partners spread across the globe. And so I've always seen us not as a Southwest company that's trying to expand globally, but rather as a global company that's proud to be based in the Southwest.
0: That's Neil Morris from Kelpie, who won almost all the other awards at the Tech Southwest Awards. Well, they won five, but that's enough to be getting on with, including Neil Morris winning the Leadership Award.
1: So let's begin by hearing from Fran Solo, who told us how she got her name as it was not the one she was born with.
3: It kind of started out as a joke about a decade ago with one of my friends. And then one day I said to a different friend, you know what, I think I want to change my name. Like, I don't identify with the name that I currently have. I mean, it has like a story to it. And my friend was like, yeah, you should do it. You should do it. So I did. And yeah, I've had like little pockets of joy where I get my ID through and then I'm like, yay, my ID's come and it has my new name on it. And yeah, it's super exciting. And I feel like it just has it as a story. With, the main the main story is that just that I made it on my own, you know, from a very young age. Yeah, fend for myself and, and make it through and then come out the other side of it but also it's quite funny so <laughs> nice no, it's cute
0: you can you tell us a little bit more about um mm-hmm. your experiences early on if if you feel comfortable talking about it
3: i just had quite a troubled childhood um just quite generally um very turbulent we were moving from pillar to post a lot of the time it was uninhabitable homes completely falling apart um very chaotic, incredibly poor, actually so impoverished, uh, very overcrowded homes and just just generally no, no human should ever have to live that way. But also it meant that I was getting a lot of stigma at school because where I grew up was actually quite affluent and uh, just comments from teachers saying that I looked dirty or comments from other students saying about sort of yeah, sort of how how I looked or uh, about my family and things like that. It, it just felt like I just didn't belong anywhere because at mm-hmm. home I couldn't live, you know, as, as a normal child would. I didn't feel safe mm-hmm. a lot of the time, and then also at school I was being bullied. So <laughs> it was just sort yeah. of like it was like a catch twenty two. I couldn't I couldn't fit in anywhere. Um, and at sixteen I ended up moving out um, and living on my own in a caravan, and. Um, yeah. And then and then at 18, I sort of the reason that I wanted to get into university was so that I could just escape everything, you know, move away. It was it was it was a, it was a way for me to be funded, to go and live somewhere else completely different and and be able to get away from my home situation. So uh, luckily, I was able to do that and and just completely move away. And yeah, and <clears throat> um, just yeah, just having that opportunity for me. The, f- the first and foremost thing was being able to go move away, because if I if I didn't get that opportunity to go to university, I am almost convinced that I would not have left that hometown. I yeah. just know.
0: So, yeah. Yeah, that's that's really amazing. And, you know, I don't think that you should ever feel like uncomfortable talking about it in case you make someone else uncomfortable because. Yes, that's your lived experience, but also people can learn from it. Robert and I understand as well because our children are adopted and obviously they came from a very chaotic home life and we we have now started an open adoption. So we're in touch with their birth family and it's tough, right? It's tough for people Um, and some of their lives are also still very chaotic and still very difficult. And the reason is because they aren't getting the help that they need. So the fact that you were able to do that, by yourself when you were 16 is incredible. And I think you 100% deserve this award. You know, you deserve all the awards. This is an amazing, amazing achievement.
3: Thank you, I really appreciate that because I think, as I said um, before, like the alienation that I felt was just so overwhelming, especially, um, yeah, sort of, yeah, how I live now, you know? Um, And yeah, I think when you grow up in that way, in poverty, It's just like it will just follow you. It will follow you. It follows you for the rest of your life. Like you will never even even if I become, you know, whatever, Prime Minister, it it will still be there. It will still be in the back of my mind. It will still be something that I've that I have experienced. And and Mm. you know, when you've lived that way, it it does follow you for the rest of your life. But it
0: shapes you. It shapes you as well. I mean our children are very different to other kids but in the best way you know they are much more they're go-getters and that's the best thing about them and that the reason is because they remember their old life that's why are survivors and so some people might say oh they're a bit pushy but i say they just go and get what they want and i think that's good
3: that's amazing
0: so, so do it just keep doing it thank you
1: uh, do um so with with the work you're doing now do you firstly do you do you recognize um, young people still in the same situation that you managed to escape from and do you think it helps being able to explain to them that you get it you understand and that there is a pathway out because it obviously feels hopeless to so many people doesn't it the situation they're in
3: yeah so um I have had uh, instances where I've been able to share my sort of journey and um not necessarily with the people that I work with um that I mentor or anything but um just just generally I think people feel that they they're able to open up to me um I uh I'm able to take those I'm just a very empathetic person so whatever people tell me a I would never mention anything that they've ever said to me to anyone obviously sorry I shouldn't even say that because that's obviously something that that I would never do but but I, it's something where, like I feel that I'm a safe space, and I'm able to just, in a lot of ways, relate to people and and um and and sort of listen and i and I no person's two experiences are ever the same. Everyone's experiences are so different. If someone's sharing an experience or or is being vulnerable. I think sometimes there's a there's a there's a capacity for people who haven't had that experience themselves to just not believe it. I think it's something that we probably see in the news a lot. You know, people people are struggling right now, obviously with the cost of living and everything else. the The world is very much a bit of a mess at the moment. But um, but I think people there's a tendency for people to just not believe other people's lived experiences. And and I, for me, I whatever people tell me, I will, I will always be a listening ear but also I will always have yeah like compassion and empathy and just try and even if I've never had that experience to just listen to it and if they want advice and if they want some sort of help I can definitely help steer someone in the right direction I'm quite good for some reason at finding opportunities available to people support you know things like that um, there's so many charities around and so much help around government initiatives, whatever, whatever it is. Um, there's a lot of it around, so I sort of will try and help. So, when you change your name, did anything
0: else change in your life?
3: Yeah, it definitely, definitely. I was able, well, sort of. I don't know. I've had experiences where I've gone to gigs and not even a joke. Uh, the band, I was stood at the front, and the band was like what's your name? It's Fran Solo. And then they were like, oh, it was in Star Wars. I was like, yeah. They ended up putting on a whole song about my name. And everyone in the room That's was That's amazing. Singing and shouting Fran Solo in, in the room, the entire gig. It was, it was really fun. And then just things like at the TechSpark Awards, my name became a running joke throughout the whole entire ceremony. So, yeah, it was just really fun. If my name makes people happy and makes a joke, then cool, great.
1: (laughs) So often the spotlight is on you then, isn't it? And uh, you've just won the Spotlight Award at Tech Southwest. How's about that for a little bit of um, interviewing technique? Tell us how it felt to be recognised at such an event.
3: Oh, it was amazing because... I did sort of feel like I sort of went on my own. I felt like I'm not like doing something massive where I'm running my own business that's contributing to the, the to the tech scene in the southwest. So to be able to win felt amazing. It, it was just really nice. It, it was really nice to be recognized in that way because I do do a lot of um volunteering and work to help get people from underrepresented groups into tech uh, across Bristol. The various, yeah, different initiatives. So to be recognised for that work is is incredible, affirming, affirming experience to know that you know I'm doing doing the right stuff. Tell me more about the work you do um, to get more people into tech because you know that is a problem that
0: we have in the Southwest having underrepresented communities in tech and also where we're lacking in diversity in general. So tell us more about about what you've learned.
3: Yeah, I think based on my experiences growing up, I have spent a lot of my career sort of alienated. I, I have felt so alienated based on my sort of experiences and where, you know, sort of it just my experience growing up was so different to a lot of the people that I was working with, you know, day to day. And I felt like I couldn't share share them and talk about it because it would make people feel uncomfortable, even though that is my lived experience. And that's the story that brought me to where I am today. So I, I knew that I wanted to use that personal experience growing up to help other people. I just knew that I I, ne- I had this energy and I had this drive to just try and change things. And so that's when I first started working with Codebar. I'm now an organizer for them um, in Bristol. And um, we get people from underrepresented groups into coding, but also trying to help people from sort of less privileged backgrounds as well. Um, I volunteer with the Social Mobility Foundation. That is what they do, they help improve social mobility of like young people. And then Babassa as well, also based in Bristol. They sort of target young people uh, between 16 to 30, I think now. They help t- target young people from less privileged backgrounds in Bristol and g- give them a mentor and help them navigate the the working world and help them with opportunities uh, within within the sector that they want to work in. It's something I'm, I'm incredibly passionate about and and. It really is like everything that I do is is sort of through that that lived experience that I, I said I had. So
0: That's amazing. I think that, yeah, as I said, you definitely deserve this award. But I also see that you're going to be doing so much more in the future. I can see how you'll be using all of your experiences to help others. It, even if it's not in similar situations, it'll probably just be people who, who just need you. So that's fantastic. That's really, really great. I'm so glad you're on the podcast today. <laughs> yeah, Thank you very I, much.
1: I had a very detailed question relating to the COVID inquiry, but we're going to have to speak to Fran again.
0: Yes, that would be amazing.
1: If I asked it, then it takes us off into a whole different world around elite self-recruitment and class.
0: Yes, actually, so would you be yeah. happy to come on again and talk to us? Because we are talking about recruitment next month. Um and one of the things that we want to talk about is, first of all, new jobs, etc. But the other thing is about, you know, Robert's been watching the COVID inquiry, like with a fine tooth comb.
1: What more interests me, and this, this was uh, come up more than once in the, uh, in the testimony, when, when they started to talk about who might be impacted, because there was nobody in the room who'd ever had a free school meal, there was no one in the room who'd ever su- suffered domestic violence. It was all about how do we make sure that people can keep shooting and going to football. And it's the same It's the same with the tech industry. If you're, if you're looking to grow into markets and search for opportunities, if you don't have those perspectives, then you don't understand what people's lives are like. No. And uh, that's why it's so important that it's not just the same old types coming through, which is why the work that Fran's doing is so important, in my opinion. But we can't talk about that now because so we run out of
3: time.
1: We so have. Gonna have. to. So I'd like to do it again in a bit more detail.
3: That's um, what you've just said. It hit the nail on the head. This is what, something I say all the time.
1: That senior front-end developer at Stornaway.io, Fran Solo, didn't have enough time there. We need to know more about her journey. So Fran will be on the podcast at the end of December, where we can hear more. So do tune into that.
0: Right, let's hear from Nikki Davis at Software Cornwall, who has an announcement to make. But first, we asked her about
2: presenting this year's awards. The Tech Southwest Awards were incredible. They always are, to be fair. Um, But this year, for some reason, just felt bigger. Um, I think they had 370 entries for the awards, which made a really, really big challenge for the judges. I was privileged enough to be one of the judges, um, which is an honour in itself to just even be asked to judge. And the calibre of entries that came through were amazing. So then to see the whole process go through, where we finally get uh, a list of finalists, and then obviously the judges had to select those. We had probably more highly commended entries um, in this year's award winners than I think I've ever seen in any awards. And that just demonstrates how tough it is to actually judge these kind of things. Um, and it was just so wonderful to see the whole room light up time and time again to celebrate the people in the room and the incredible things that they've managed to achieve.
0: Oh yeah, every year it's amazing. So I'm um, a bit jealous that I wasn't there this year. But um tell me, you know, who was your favorite ever? Like when you were looking and when you who was your favorite winner when you were when you were judging? And you thought, yeah, these guys, incredible.
2: Uh so the one that stood out for me was Fran Solo. So she, um, you have to give me, I can't remember which category it was because there were so many on the night, but... Spotlight Award, that's who oh, our interviewee oh, previous,
3: that's who we were oh, just talking it. to.
2: She was so... Uh, I think, I love the ones where they're really shocked to win it. And they have a moment where they arrive on stage and they sort of give me a look of, I don't know what I'm doing here. And Fran was so humble and so sweet. And she arrived and was just completely in awe and blown away that she had won and it was so, so lovely witnessing those sorts of things. Um, And I think, you know, she really stood out for me because we had a little chat afterwards and she was still completely blown away by the fact that she'd won. Um, And I, those are the ones that really kind of resonate with you because that's why recognition is so important. That's why you do the awards because you know, there are loads of companies doing amazing things, but companies are made up of individuals. So when you can then, you know, the spotlight award is the perfect title when you can actually shine a light on the individuals that are making change, and doing these incredible innovations. uh, And yet they are completely none the wiser and are not expecting it. It's just such a magical moment. So she really stood out for me.
0: I'm so glad you said that because we absolutely love chatting to Fran and we just were talking to her and she was just brilliant. So and we're going to get her back on next month. So um, that's going to be great.
1: <laughs> I'm looking shocked on stage and wondering why you're there. Reminds me of me presenting last year as well. So it's not just the... Uh... <laughs> Not just the winners. Um, Nikki, I believe there's something that you have to tell us.
2: Yeah. So um, we have got a big announcement, um, which we made at a big launch party, that we are launching a festival of tech for Cornwall. This has been something that we have dreamt about for years. Um, And I think even before I even joined Software Cornwall, this is one of those pipe dreams. And... Over the last couple of years, we've been making inroads to try and do more to shine light on the Cornish tech sector. And there's been things that have been happening in Cornwall that haven't been down to us. The Space Cluster has done some amazing innovations and Goonhilly were recognised at the Tech Southwest Awards for their work. There's been so many awesome things and people are recognising Cornwall as a big player in in tech and particularly space. Um, But we wanted to, we've got membership of about 80 companies and one of the things we've always tried to tackle and this is a problem that comes up time and time again is the tech talent crisis and this came out of a tech southwest report in 2022 that all tech clusters and the UK this is not just the cornish and southwest problem the UK is struggling with tech talent and so we've always focused our efforts on trying to you know grow talent through grassroots programs and also help people career switch into tech and give them skills and training on the job or before they get in the industry and that's where we focused our time and the feedback um, we started to get is okay this is awesome now we want to meet buyers and so we've been kind of conjuring up this plan of how can we now get people to shop in Cornwall and I think the way we thought is actually let's start with Cornwall shopping local There's a lot of industries in Cornwall, big industries, and they don't know that you can spend millions of pounds on software projects in Cornwall. So we wanted to really kind of change that. So we are hosting from the 12th to the 25th of February 2024, Cornwall's Festival of Tech. And this will be a two week long celebration of all things tech, digital and software in Cornwall. What it looks like is the first week um, is half term week and we're going to run a load of community events. We run a really successful Tech Jam event, which is a free code club for children and their caregivers to come along and just have a play with Raspberry Pis, Arduino, some of the tech that we've got, some of the software that we've got to play with. We're taking that on tour all over Cornwall for the first week over half term. The idea is to reach communities that um, are often overlooked in Cornwall and that get to those really hard to reach places. The second week will then kind of focus on business. um, And there's two flagship events. Tuesday the 20th, we're running the Big Cornish Tech Showcase, and that is exactly what it it says on the tin. We've got space for about 50 exhibitors, um, and they will um, not only just exhibit, but we are putting the emphasis on the word show. Come and show your tech, demonstrate the innovations that happen here, come and let people play with your software, let us have a go. Let people interact with the things that you're creating in Cornwall. And then we are getting buyers in the room so that actually they can meet people on their doorstep that can solve their digital transformation problems. There'll be two speaker tracks alongside that. One of them will be vendor talks, which is very much problem solving. How to do this? How do we go through a digital transformation process? How do I buy a website? How do I get more visibility for my landing page? How do I combat this legacy system that we've had for you know the last 20 years and bring it into modern age all of those sorts of things we're going to explore in the vendor track that's teamed up with a tech track which is going to explore um sort of deeper tech things like ai cyber uh, we might even touch on things like blockchain and getting much more into the emerging technologies things that are coming so that we can prepare cornwall and anyone anyone who visits that day um to show them what's on the horizon, what's coming and how their businesses can adapt to make sure that they are making the most of the opportunities that tech brings for their businesses. And then the day after, we've got our Control Alt Delete event, which is all about tech, but it's celebrating diversity, inclusivity and equality. And this is a really, really important event. This is run by our sister company, Tech Women, um, with Caitlin and the team over there and it's all about okay yeah we can build amazing things but how do we do it to make sure that diversity and inclusion is built in from the ground up so through the software through code but also recruiting diverse teams it's very much the why we should do this um, and why it's really really important and then the whole week will be rounded off with a Create tech weekender um, and we've got grants of between £250 to £2,000 for anybody to submit their idea for an event. We'll give them a grant and they can run their event throughout the festival. So it becomes a little bit like the Edinburgh Fringe, where there's a few flagship things going on, but also there's 12 or 13 other Fringe events happening that are run by the community for the community.
1: So to quote Bob Geldof after Live Aid, is that it? <laughs> <laughs> but, uh <laughs> Never. It. Uh, I mean, I, I mean, it's, I mean, it's, 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 it's extraordinary. It's difficult to get one's head around. Um, how much of that is targeted at, at within Cornwall, and how much do you hope that people from outside Cornwall will come and see what's going on?
2: For this year, um, it's our ambition that this will be something that comes back year after year. For this year, certainly for the showcase, it's quite Cornwall centric, and that's because we, if we're going to put Cornwall on the map, we need Cornwall to recognise that. Cornwall is on the map. Um, And so if we're gonna grow Cornwall as a uh, a tech cluster and it is the fastest growing tech cluster in the UK, we have to make sure that local organizations and industries know that there is an amazing emerging tech cluster because Cornwall won't grow because software Cornwall keeps saying it's a really great place to do work and do business and, and innovate. Cornwall will grow because it's been seen as a solution provider for multiple industries and it's through their stories that will help put Cornwall on the map across the the Cornish county and then the southwest and then we'll ripple out to the UK and and ideally international uh, internationally. So for this year, the festival is quite Cornwall centric and it's absolutely open to everybody, but we do a few other flagship events throughout the year. So one of them is agile on the beach, which gets 500 people from national and international and down to Cornwall every July for two days of, of everything agile. And then in September we run a startup Cornwall event, which is again open to the UK, and we got some uh, lots of attraction from the southwest on that event as well. And we're bringing that back again in September. So although the festival itself this year is quite Cornwall-centric, we are very much turning other things outwards and then building that ambition. But this year we're going to niche and make sure that we create a bit of a groundswell in Cornwall itself, because that is how we will achieve those big announcements and um, it's it's getting those stories out and um, we can't do it on our own so we're going to mobilize the rest of the county to do it for us.
1: There's an interesting recent report by the Resolution Foundation in response to um, the government suggesting that they that, that many degrees aren't worth it because uh, subsequent earnings do not provide value for money um, and the report was focusing on how the difference between the UK and the US is actually around the the lack of decent, high-skilled, high-paying jobs that the UK creates that allows graduates to go into, um, as opposed to the fact that degrees themselves are not inherently worth it. How how key do you think to what's happening in Cornwall is to create more high-skilled, high-paying jobs to keep people there and to attract people in?
2: It's always been key. I think... Um we've got a massive housing crisis in Cornwall. And a lot of that is because local people are simply priced out by the market. Um, I think we're sort of the millennial generation is one of the first generations that isn't better off than their parents' generation were. And that's pretty alarming because uh, that's a massive impact on the economy as a whole. If we can't buy houses and we can't shop locally and we can't afford things, then uh, that will have a detrimental impact itself. I think with the degree courses, um, there's a real mixture what it's really probably important to recognize in tech is that a lot of the people that work in the industry don't have a perfectly linear journey into tech if you were to draw a line um a sort of a line kind of on a on a graph of, of mapping that journey it would look like a complete squiggle and this is just based off you know conversations i've had with people that work in the industry and i've been in tech for about 15 to 20 years now and I don't I know very few people that woke up when they were sort of 14 choosing their GCSEs that says, yeah, I'm gonna go into computer science, maths, and and physics and 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 maybe business, and then I'm gonna choose my degree based on this, and then I'm gonna go and work in a tech company. There are those journeys, but what's really telling is certainly in Cornwall, there are so few of those journeys. Actually, what we're seeing is people find their way into tech and software because they've got some enthusiasm for it. And it might be that they were dismantling things as kids and, and re-engineering things, or they were playing games or interacting with tech on a an on enthusiastic curiosity level, and then actually realize that you can go and get jobs in this. And that's what we try to do with things like our coca clubs and tech jams, is show that you can play with technology and you can break it and you should break it uh, because you can probably get it working again. And actually, if you've got that aptitude, then that's the people that tech really wants. And I think the degree courses are important. What a degree teaches you is critical thinking. And networking and a lot of things like public speaking, presentation skills, how to get on with people, how to work within a team. But that's not the be and end or work experience is also really, really important. And I think certainly when we do our career switcher programs, the feedback we're hearing from companies locally is they can teach somebody to code, but they can't teach somebody to communicate effectively, show up to work on time um, and get on with the rest of the team. Those are skills that are learned through generally third-party things or you know all the extracurricular things that people do outside so i think there is no one pathway into tech i think to create those well-paid jobs companies need to be making money and if they are making money it's because they've got clients or products that they're selling so a lot of this is about how to raise their profile so that they can sell more and ultimately recruit more people and pay them better wages
0: um it's under just before like you were describing my daughter you know she breaks everything in the house so that she can then put it back together it's a maddening child to have but I can tell <laughs> she's definitely going to go and do something amazing so yeah. so frustrating
1: I'm sorry and what, what you've um what you've talked about there is um sounds very similar I, mean, I, I worked at Falmouth University for many years and that's that's the long-term strategy right there. It's whether or not, whether you work in fashion photography or graphic design or filmmaking, or you're doing an MA in entrepreneurship, it's just about being part of, as you've said, the fastest growing sector, the fastest growing cluster, and having the skills right across the board that allows you to work in that, as opposed to doing a degree in tech, which doesn't exist.
2: Exactly. And this is something I say time and time again is software, tech, and digital to many people. I had a conversation with somebody last week to this, in fact, you know, it puts the fear through a lot of people because sometimes technology can be really scary, but tech isn't just full of computer scientists. It's full of people who are incredibly creative. It's full of people who can manage people, communicate. It needs great accountants. It needs great people in HR. It needs designers. It needs people who can draw. It needs people who can write, translate really complex systems to describe it to somebody else in a way that they can understand these are all such valuable and important skills and it's why there's a lot of people feeling like imposters when they say yeah I work in tech because they feel like well I haven't got a degree in computer science or I you know I'm not a software developer I'm not a codey therefore I don't belong here absolute rubbish you you absolutely belong here because no company can run with just a single set of skills. You have to have key pillars in an organization to make businesses run effectively. And that is where the people makeup comes, comes in. Um, and it's really important that that message gets out more so that tech does attract the right skills and that we can build diverse teams and, and create products that are built for everybody, not just the people that made them.
1: Thank you to Nikki. And what an event that sounds like. Many, many years in the making uh, and that should be quite impactful. Look forward to hearing more about that in the new year.
0: I'm super excited. Now, let's hear from another of the stars from the Tech Southwest Awards Night, Neil Morris, CEO of Kelpie, who I think had a good time.
4: Wow, what a fantastic event and what a fantastic outcome for Kelpie. We were honored and delighted and humbled to be in such brilliant company. With such fantastic innovators, but also delighted that we were recognised by the jury in uh, a number of categories uh, across a number of awards. So uh, it was a fantastic evening for Kelpie, but most of all, it's a fantastic evening, I think, to showcase the brilliant technology that's coming out of the Southwest.
0: Which was your favourite award to have won?
4: Now, there's a question. I guess winning uh, what uh, the... Uh, what's called the the tech southwest award at the end of the evening as the culmination if you like was obviously the one with the greatest impact and so that was fantastic to win uh, we're very much a business focused on sustainability and innovation and therefore winning awards in those categories was a real validation for us of the approach that we've taken, the way that we've built the business around the core concepts of sustainable innovation. And so those are also particularly meaningful, I think.
0: Neil, how did it feel getting the Tech Leadership Award?
4: Wow, I was both surprised and hugely humbled to have received that award, uh, especially in a room of of brilliant tech innovators from across the Southwest, who I think all of whom were were equally uh, deserving in that case. I think uh, it's been important to us that we recognise the role of leading on innovating in technology bringing the business capability alongside that. For for me, Kelpie has always been about combining uh, tech leadership with uh, proven entrepreneurial skills and the base of science, which allows us to prosper as a company. So to get that personal award was, was, uh, I think, testament really to how the whole team has uh, worked together to bring innovation and leadership in technology to apply on a, on quite a tough sector. And uh, so delighted to have received it. And, and I hope I can live up to that accolade over the coming year and beyond by helping other companies uh, bring innovative technology to the market.
0: I think you said um, it was a, It was a testament to the great technology that's coming out of the Southwest, but I think also it's a testament to green technology and the fact that more and more people are valuing this sort of um, technology and, and, and want to see more of it. Um, have you found that uh, across the board over the last two years? Where Because I feel like more and more people just are taking more um, stance towards protecting the environment.
4: I think that's absolutely right. Um, we're a global company. Kelpie's clients are global. We work with partners spread across the globe. And so I've always seen us not as a southwest company that's trying to expand globally, but rather as a global company that's proud to be based in the southwest. And for us, it's a really important part of how we recruit some of the best scientists, the best business people in the world. But it's also a great way in which we can develop the partnerships that we need to. And those partnerships really are uh, across the EU, North America and beyond. And so uh, a base in the southwest for us is a way in which we can help leverage our Uh, position, understand how our uh, recruits uh, can be attracted to a company like us, but really leverage the the, uh, innovation and sustainability focus across the Southwest. We find ourselves in some really interesting conversations, including those right here from where I'm talking to you today, which is a science and innovation technology hub in the centre of Bristol, uh, where we're working alongside biotech companies, health tech companies and others in sustainability tech. And that really is part of the secret of our success is to be able to be at the heart of a network like Tech Southwest and a smaller network like the Science Creates Network that we're in here today to really amplify our, uh, our innovation and our capabilities.
1: Neil, I remember speaking to the chair of the World Bank at uh, the G7 in Cornwall uh, a couple of eighteen months ago now um, about what the Southwest had to do to uh, increase increase the recognition of uh, uh, of the area and what it was doing. and And his advice was to was quite clear, which was to cluster, to become known for something, to have a specialism, which Um, made it easy to take it to the world. Do you feel that the Southwest, Bristol seems to be, do you feel that the the wider Southwest is beginning now to become known for certain areas of expertise?
4: Yes, I I think that's a a really good question because I I do see the Southwest becoming known on a global stage for our sustainability tech, our green tech. Uh, I've been at a number of events over the past two or three months alongside the the wonderful Tech Southwest Awards ceremony. I've been in Berlin at the Falling Walls Conference, which brings together the leading science-led innovative businesses worldwide into a single place. Been back to Germany again last week uh, for another event and have also been uh, at the Blue Earth Summit in Bristol, a global event that happens to be in our home city. And in each case, I was meeting companies from Cornwall, from Devon, others from Bristol, uh, others from Bath. And all of those were going to global events on a global stage and, yes, presenting what was the best of the Southwest, but it was presenting leading innovative solutions to some of the great problems that we face, yeah. particularly around sustainability. And uh, so it really wasn't just about celebrating the best of the Southwest, it was celebrating the best of the world based here in the Southwest.
0: You guys have been in this um, space for quite a long time now. And I wonder, you know going to all of these conferences, meeting people from across the board within Green Tech, um, What trends are you seeing that are are emerging now compared to, let's say, five years ago, even?
4: I think there's a, a growth in both the view of investors in investing in deep tech and in the confidence that entrepreneurs and innovators have in putting forward sustainability, deep tech, Ideas, And and what I really mean by that is that I think that we've seen a growth in patient capital in the willingness of investors to put capital into companies which are not going to see software like returns over a three year horizon, but that are going to provide solutions to some of the tough challenges that we face that are going to deliver a return on those investments but that are also equally focused on the impact that they're having upon the world. And I think if we went back five years, that would probably have been less the case. It was more of a fringe activity to be investing in sustainability tech, and perhaps amongst the uh, boom years for stellar returns from SaaS and software investments, that sustainability and the more patient capital needed for green tech investments was uh, less visible as a significant part of the investment climate
0: and are you getting the support that you need you know the in in government or in legislature that you need to to continue this sort of work
4: not yet but the situation is improving compared to what it was and i look at uh, areas like how innovate uk as a as a grant awarding body is uh, particularly focused on net zero and amongst their other challenges recognizes the need to invest in sustainable futures and so that's a huge help to the sector Uh, I think we are still suffering from legislation that's that's coming onto our books or that has come onto our books that needs to better reflect and support sustainability industry Um, i think within sustainability as well there had been an almost exclusive focus on carbon reduction which clearly should receive a huge amount of the funding and is a vital focus for investment investment and for the entrepreneurs and innovators in the space but where kelpie is focused is not solely on carbon reduction, but also on the equally challenging area of toxicity in our environments. We're focused on removing our dependence on fossil fuel plastics and all the uh, microplastic issues that causes and the huge consequences for planetary and human health. And I think we're seeing more recognition now that we face a a huge challenge around the way in which we're treating our environment and pouring toxins in there. And I include in that fossil fuel plastic fragments. And there is an area where we're not really seeing sufficient movement to my mind in uh, legislation and in government circles we're still allowing polluters to continue polluting at far too high a rate and we're not supporting whether innovative solutions like that of Kelpie or other initiatives that will provide far more sustainable renewably sourced alternatives
1: do you see that some of the more the more populist rhetoric uh, which uh best has a an ambivalence towards um a clean environment and sustainability and at worst has an open hostility towards it is that is that a real risk to you or do you think that that a lot of that is just words and that the wider uh, macro investment community can exist Im- immune to that kind of uh of obvious popular sentiment
4: It's a massive risk to me, to you, to all of us. Uh, I I am, frankly, on a personal level, disgusted by a government that's prepared to pander to that populist populist rhetoric, as you say, and uh, roll back on commitments to uh, greener policies, to supporting more sustainable solutions. Uh, From Kelpie's perspective, we're delighted to work with investors who see beyond that. And I think there is... Uh, a huge awareness across investors, across entrepreneurs, uh, across the broader startup community from Tech Southwest to the universities in the region and others that we should not be cowed by politicians who are failing to stand up for what we need to happen right now. But uh, it is disgraceful that our UK government alongside other governments as well, is apparently quite happy to roll back on green policies at the very time we need the leadership that they should be putting forward, that they should be leading on worldwide. Uh, I hope that uh, the upcoming COP conference will uh, help us to regain some of the momentum, but I am not uh, confident that it will, if I'm honest. Uh, My hope is probably going to be tempered by um, the unfortunately too pragmatic attitude taken to continue to exploit fossil fuel assets uh, to allow from our government the exploitation of new oil fields and um, extract, continue to extract oil and gas amongst other purposes also for the production of f- fossil fuel plastics that we simply should not have in our, in our world any longer. I completely
0: agree and i think those are really strong words that are completely needed because if we just keep quiet about things then nothing changes and we're just stuck in that i don't know void of of bad decision making and um terror to our planet in the, in the form of plastics etc um what's next for you guys did, did i do an oh. alan partridge there what was yeah. <laughs> i got a bit mad sorry <laughs> What, what is next for Kelpie?
4: So we continue to engage with some of the largest businesses in the world. Uh, i would mentioned previously that we're working with L'Oreal, for example, um, the world's biggest cosmetics and toiletries company, um, on their sustainable packaging. Uh, we're working with some of the other leading companies in the world, uh, some of which we'll be able to talk more about in the uh, coming weeks and months. At the same time, we're also progressing with the regulatory approval that we need to package food and drink at scale, as well as also proving our scale-up technology. And we'll be uh, opening our next investment round in January. That's to fund the business for the next uh, 24 months so that we can continue to grow whilst we then, once we've got the regulatory approval, start shipping product as soon as that's in place.
1: Neil Morris, Chief Exec of Kelpie. Wonderful as always. That's all we've got time for in this episode. So thank you for listening. And remember to subscribe to the Southwest Tech Daily Podcast so you get notifications every time there's a new episode.
0: Yep. And get in touch on Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn at SWTechDaily or you can tweet at TechSouthWest. We would love to hear from you. Bye. Bye. The Southwest Tech Daily Podcast.